0: Are you a puzzler? I am. Uh, I love puzzles. Crystal gets me one every Christmas for a present. I'll set up my table between the kitchen and the family room, and while every all the action is happening around me, I'll work away at my puzzle. Now there's some difference of technique. Some people like to take each piece and they look at it really clearly and then they try to figure out where it fits, while others just kind of randomly go through, look at the pieces, and then when one jumps out at them and they go, oh, I know where that goes, they put it there. doesn't matter which technique you tend to use. You might use both at the same time. There's one tool that every puzzler uses, and that is the big picture on the front of the box. Because if you don't know what the big picture is, when you pull a piece, you have no idea how it fits and where it relates to other pieces. See, the big picture gives a clarity and a perspective that enables you to take the pieces and put them in place. Now every week I deliver a sermon where I take a piece of scripture, a couple verses, maybe 10, 12, whatever, and I I explain them to you. It's like I take a, a piece of the puzzle of the Bible and I talk about that piece. But very rarely do I ever hold up the whole picture for you so that you get a sense of the the perspective and the grasp of all the scripture. And so it must make it very confusing at times, like how does this piece fit with this piece? They look contradictory to one another, it's confusing. And so there's not clarity in perspective. So in order to help give you big picture, I'm going to use uh, some material from St. Helen's Bishopgate, which is a church in London, England called the Big Picture Course, kind of fits, and uh, that will help us give a sense of the entire message and view of the Bible. Now, let's start with a 30,000 foot view of what God was doing even before he had created the earth. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I can imagine as I was reading that you were thinking, huh, spiritual blessings, heavenly realms? What's, what is that? I had that same question when I was reading it and so I did a little bit of work. A couple of things you need to notice about this is notice first of all that they're blessings. Now a blessing is a favor or goodness or a gift. This is something that we uh, are familiar with this time of year, uh, just came through it. Uh, Christmas gifts, we give them to people that we love and that we want to show favor to. And so that's what a spiritual blessing is. It's a gift. And notice that it's spiritual. It's not physical. It's not something material. It's immaterial. And you go, well, what do I do with an immaterial gift? Well, you want them all the time. In fact, immaterial gifts are what you seek more than material gifts because they're things like love, peace, joy, hope, purpose, identity. The things that drive us from deep within are immaterial. And God says, in Christ I am going to give you spiritual blessings, those immaterial things that you seek most in life. God's plan is to make us rich in the immaterial things, not the material things. Now the second thing you got to notice about this passage is that they are in Christ. We're going to talk about this a little bit later on in this sermon. But they are only in Christ because they come from Christ. Christ provides them and you must be in relationship with Christ to receive them. Third thing to notice about it is that they're heavenly. Now, this doesn't mean you got to be in heaven and they're no earthly good. It means they flow from heaven. They come from heaven. They come because Jesus Christ, who died and rose again and ascended into heaven, He is there making sure that the heavenly gifts, these immaterial gifts, are freely flowing to us. He intercedes for us. If you went for a job description or a job application and you you had somebody that was on the hiring committee and they said to you, don't worry, I'll make sure you get the job. That's what Jesus did. He's in heaven pulling for us, saying, all the things I obtained at the cross, he is ensuring as he intercedes for us and he gives them to us, ensures we receive them, because we don't deserve them. And so if it wasn't for him presenting his uh, nail-scarred hands, his nail-scarred brow, his nail-scarred feet, saying, I've paid for all of these, they go freely to my children, we would never receive them because they come only because of Christ. So what are these blessings, these gifts that God gives us? Notice in verse 4 and 5. For He, meaning God, chose us in Him, in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Think about that. Even before there was a world, God had already determined that those who would be followers of Christ would live holy and blameless lives. Holy meaning different, according to his version of right and wrong. Now, we all have a version of right and wrong, every one of us. We all think that there's a right and there's a wrong. And well, we may disagree a little bit on what is right and what is wrong, but we all agree that there is a right and wrong. And I know that because if I cut in line in front of you at the grocery store or I cut you off in traffic or I swore at you or I, I said slanderous things about you, you would say, hey, that's not right. You'd be offended. And you would expect me to apologize and change my behavior because there's a standard of right that you know and that you think I should know and should live by. See, we all understand that there's a standard of right. The question, of course, is, well, who made that standard? If it's outside of us, who made it? And then the other thing we all know is that we all don't keep standards of right and wrong, even if it's our own standard of right and wrong. We make standards about our exercise. We make standards about what we'll say, what we won't say, what we'll watch. And we break those standards. And we all know out of that comes our guilt and comes our shame because we didn't keep the standards that we knew were right. Now, this is where this all comes to play in this verse, and that is God has chosen us to live by, to be holy and blameless in those standards of right and wrong. And so he calls us to live a totally different life. And that's what is a hang up for a lot of people who don't want to believe in God. Because see, if you believe that there's a standard of right and wrong, and every one of us do because we get offended when somebody treats us wrong, then we have to believe there's one who makes that standard. And if there's one who makes that standard and it's above us and outside of us, then we should be submitting to it. But that's the problem. I don't want to submit to God. I don't want him to be in control. I want to be in control. And that's the beef we have. It's not the right or wrong that God says is right or wrong, it's that we don't get to choose what we get to do when we submit to God but God says hey I'm calling those who put their faith in me to live a holy and blameless life. Now, holy means just different, to live according to the standards of right and wrong that he describes. And blameless means you can't point into our lives and and see where we have blown it. Now, that's a problem because in my life, I don't need you to point into my life to show me where I've blown it. I already know that there's times I blow it every single day. And so how can I be blameless before God? And that's where Christ comes in. The death of Christ sufficiently pays for my, my sin. Not just my past in, but all sins in the future that I may commit as well. And so when God looks at me, of course he knows I've sinned, but they're all paid for. It's like looking at somebody walking out of a grocery store with huge bags and seeing the tag and knowing they paid for everything. You go, well, they got all that stuff, but they paid for it. There's no problem here. And when God looks at me, he sees a zero balance in my sin category because Jesus has fully paid for all my sin and so god calls us to be holy and blameless in christ so we will be different in this world the first spiritual blessing was before even creation god said i'm going to invite you into a new kind of life one that walks with me in love he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through jesus christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will to the praise and glory of his grace which he freely given us in the one that he loves. Now, spiritual blessing or spiritual gift number two, God adopts us into his family. We have Fridge rights with God, You think about your family, how you do everything you do, the, the work that you do, the effort that you put in is all to protect, to guide, to provide, to care for your family. And God invites us into the environment, to the group of people, his family, who he's doing everything he's doing on earth to protect, to guide, to provide for. And he adopts us into that family in Christ. And that's a gift because we were outside. In fact, the scriptures say we were enemies of God, but he in his love for us and his goodness to us and his favor upon us, his gift to us is welcome into my family. Now, spiritual gift number three comes right on the heels of that. He says in verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. He forgives as much as he is graceful, not according to our ability, but to his great ability that he lavished on us. Now redemption, here's a picture of redemption. Redemption is a father who finds out that his daughter is a drug user and bad and is in a drug house. And he finds the drug house and he goes into that dirty, filthy, terrible, dark place. And he searches through the whole house, finds his daughter wiped out on drugs, puts her on his back, carries her out of the house and carries her to a place where she can get help and get, get what she needs to be free from the bondage of drugs so eventually she can come home. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. In Hebrews chapter two, we are told in verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, we're the children of flesh and blood, he too, Jesus too, shared in our humanity. He was God but became man, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death over us, that is, the devil. And so Jesus took on flesh so he could come to this world. He put us on his back at the cross where he paid for all of our sins. And there he defeated the hold that Satan had on us because of our sin. He paid fully for our sin, freed us from our sin and the bondage so that we could come home and so Jesus through redemption through his blood has made it possible that home is in God's family that home is where we're safe and then we no longer need to fear shame or guilt or rejection or or fear because Jesus has adopted us into his family and redeemed us by his blood spiritual gift number three with all wisdom and understanding God made known to us the mystery of his will. Interesting phrase, mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment. We know that God says the fulfilling of all time was when Christ came. And to bring unity, this was the purpose of this mystery, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. You see, spiritual gift number four is that God makes known to us his big picture plan. He's telling us what he is doing in the world. And without that understanding, without knowing what God is doing, we walk around in a fog. We could do anything. We have no idea if it helps us eternally or it hurts us. We would never understand that unless we knew what God's plan was. Crystal and I uh, last year decided to go with some friends skiing out in BC and so we chose to go to Big White. I'd never been there before and I thought we all thought, Big White, wow, snow, snow, snow. Well, we got there and we found out that Big White is not the name of the mountain because of how much snow it gets, though it does get a lot of snow. It's called Big White because of the weather patterns and the way the mountains work. It's often in a fog. In fact, we found out their motto is ski or sea, you can't do both and so the very first day we were there it was foggy i mean a dense fog it was the most frustrating day of skiing i had ever had in my life i was skiing i would hit bumps i didn't even know were there people would appear almost out of nowhere trees it was just a fight all the way down the hill one time on one of the runs i i was going kind of fast and I hit a bump, I didn't even know it was there. And then all of a sudden I was airborne. And I was trying to figure, grasp where I was at, r- trying to get it together. I was on, back on my heels, I was in trouble. When I hit, it launched me into a run. And when I hit, my skis went one way, my body went another way, my knee went one way, my poles went everywhere, it was a garage sale, all, like crazy, as people went zooming by. And, and I don't mean on the internet. And so here I was laying all over the place because in the fog, I didn't realize I was being launched off this big jump. You see, in life, as we walk through life, if we're in a fog, we could walk off a cliff, eternally speaking, without ever realizing it. We don't know what God's doing. We can't understand what he's doing, and therefore we don't know how to act appropriately. But God says, I'm going to reveal to you the mystery of my will, which is tied up in Jesus, and the purpose of it is so that he will bring into unity and submission all things in creation, meaning all all life of all forms and all kinds, whether it's angelic, demonic, human, or animal. All things will be united in Christ and in submission to him. And he tells us that's what he's doing. He gives us a clue to what's happening in this world throughout time so that we have the opportunity to decide whether we're going to join him or not. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined or chosen beforehand, according to the plan of him who works out everything in the conformity with the purpose of his will. All things that happen on earth happen in conformity to God's will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, meaning the church, might be for the praise of his glory, and you were also included in christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation when you believed you were marked in god with a seal the promised holy spirit i'll stop and think about that in a few weeks or next week actually we're going to learn god's purpose for creating us and the short story spoiler alert is this god wanted a family He wanted people to express love to and to receive love from. And so he created man to be the objects of his love. Of course, we know that whenever we sin, that breaks relationship. You know that, I know that. So if you betray somebody or you're unfaithful to somebody or you lie about somebody or you say mean words about somebody, it hurts and breaks the relationship. People don't wanna be around one another until it's resolved. And if you sin deeply enough or too much, you actually can kill a relationship. Well, sin against a holy God completely kills the relationship with God. That's why he said to Eve, If you sin, you will die. You'll be separated from me in our relationship. And so our sin separates us from God. But God's heart and his desire as a good father is to restore us because that's why he created us, to have a relationship with us. But who knew that the relationship would be this, that he would put himself, he would put his own spirit within us to dwell within us. Not, Not to guide us, not to speak to us occasionally, but to live deeply within us. You know, it's like this for all of us. We, when we have a new relationship, it takes time and it takes effort and work to grow that relationship, to begin to understand the other person, to be able to learn who they are and what they're like in order to be able to deepen that relationship. And that's the same way with God. But he has given us the most intimate relationship of all, his very presence. And by the way, God is the life giver in this universe. And so all good things, all hope, all joy, all peace, all beauty, all love, all all uh, every good thing that we desire comes from God and He dwells and lives within us. He puts himself. And so as we grow in our relationship with God, we learn about these gifts, these spiritual blessings, these immaterial things that we long for begin to, sh- to, to whelm up and overflow in our hearts, which is why Jesus said, if you put faith in him, you'll have that spring of water welling up from within. So in vor- verse 14, we're told that the promised Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So why did God give us all these spiritual gifts? Well, because he wanted to guarantee by giving us the Spirit that his plan, this mystery of his will, his plan will take place. He will finish it. And so he gave us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing that he will complete the plan, which is to make us his inheritance, his possession, and all things will come together in Christ. You see, all those spiritual gifts that we were given, the call to holiness, to live a different life, the adoption into his family, the redemption that he gave through the blood of Christ, the uh, indwelling of his spirit and the revealing of his plan to us. It was all given to us for a purpose. And that is that we might join him in his plan to work it out it's not our job to work his plan out it's our privilege to join with him in the plan that he is doing in this world right now and as we spend time looking over the big picture of the bible we're going to watch how god is working and how he has been working throughout time to move this plan to its completion it started in the garden it will end in Israel. But in between, he invites his people to join him with the gifts that he has given to help him accomplish what his heart wants to accomplish. So God has a big plan and that's the big picture. So what's that mean for us as we go through this series? Well, I think first we need to ask ourselves, are we going to be part of that plan? And what are the things that stop us from being part of God's plan. You know, Sometimes it's dreams or hopes or desires that, that kind of veer us away from what God wants for our lives, and they block us. Maybe it's fear or guilt or shame. You know, I don't really feel that God could use me. Maybe it's ideas or beliefs that we have that block our understanding of God, and, and we don't, haven't taken them captive, but instead we've allowed them to control us. So what I want you to do, uh, this is a challenge for all of us, is the text number that's gonna come on the screen. I want you to text ideas that you think, things that you think, habits, disobedient, thoughts, ideas, dreams, whatever, that block us from doing what God wants us to do, from joining Him. You see these frames behind me, they're all crooked. And it it represents that life sometimes gets crooked and out of control, especially when we follow the ways that God or follow things that God would not have us follow. And so I want you to text those things you think block us from joining with God in his big plan, in the big picture, and what he wants to do. And what I want to do is I want to hang them here. Your name won't be on them, don't worry. They're anonymous and we'll hang them in there. And then as we go through this series, we'll be calling ourselves out about the things that block us from joining God. So that's the first thing. Would you do that? Would you just text what you think blocks us as a church from doing what God calls us to do? The second thing I would think of and I think that we all need to deal with is this thing called, we're calling My Four. My four are the four people that we believe and are asking God to use us to reach. And see, I wonder, have you done that yet? I mean, last fall we talked about it, we introduced it, we encouraged you to do that. But if you haven't done that, if you don't have four people, how in the world can you ever join God in what he is doing in this world? Because you have no one you're trying to reach. And so how do you figure out your my four? Just write a list of every name you can think of that you know, people that you know, that you believe are not followers of Jesus Christ. And then begin to pray over that list and ask God to highlight at least four that he wants you to join him in reaching out to. Well, how do you join God in reaching out to them? Well, that's what we call the three I's, you know, to to intercede for those people regularly, faithfully calling on God to work in their life and then to invest in them, invest love. That's what we did the love others series, to invest love into their lives because we know that Jesus said, they'll know you're my follower when they see my love in you. And then to invite them into spiritual conversations or invite them to watch or to view things like this or other information on sc- online that they can help answer their questions or to read a book or, or to go to an event. You invite them where they can help take a next step. As you pray for them, God leads you in what that invitation should be. So if you're going to join with God, you're going to have to have people that, that God wants to use you to reach. Well, where are your my four? Who are they? Can you name them? And if not, maybe now is the time to take seriously what God's calling you to. And the third thing I think we need to consider You know, I talk about fear and guilt and shame a lot because so many people struggle with those things. We know we failed and we keep on failing and we feel guilty. And we struggle with that shame and the guilt that that failure brings in our lives. But you know, the Word of God says that we've just read through the whole Ephesians is God poured out these immaterial spiritual blessings into our lives. And he has a plan and he's moving us forward even if we don't feel like it all the time. And what we need to do is be willing to believe that what Jesus says is true Instead of listening to their feelings in our heart. I know it's hard because we, when we sin, we feel so guilty about it. We see, feel so ashamed about it. And it tends to draw us away from God. But Jesus said, I have, I have called you blameless. I paid for all that you have done. And maybe it's time for us to take Jesus at his word. Not focus on our failures, but focus on his word. Yeah, you say, but you don't know what I've done. Well, do you know there was a woman named Mary, one of the many Marys that followed Jesus through his life, and she was a prostitute. And she listened to Jesus while she was a prostitute until finally she put her faith in Jesus. And through faith and believing what Jesus said to be true, she left a life of prostitution, her life changed, and she became one of the vibrant witnesses of the early church just after Jesus had left this earth. So if Mary can believe what Jesus said is true of her life, And change, why can't you? Yeah, change doesn't happen overnight. It takes time sometimes, but it starts with believing what Jesus says is true of you, not believing and focusing on your feelings. Focus rather on Him. You know, maybe for you, this is all kind of strange. Remember, I talked about being in Christ. These spiritual blessings are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you have access to them. If you're not in a relationship with him. Well, we are born because of our sin. We're born into the world sinners and we're broken before God. But the death of Jesus Christ pays for our sins. And when we choose to surrender our lives to Christ, then we are changed on the inside and we're made part of his family. But you must decide whether or not you're going to choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, how do you do that? Well, you admit your sin to God. God, I'm a sinner, this is my life. And then you believe that Jesus' death and resurrection pays for your sin. And then you choose to surrender your life saying, God, I give everything I am over to you and I trust you for salvation from my sin. You know, the whole thing of following Jesus is about laying down our lives. And so I wanna pray for you as we go into this series. Jesus, would you help us to lay down what we think and take up what you say to be true? I pray for those who are struggling with the the belief in you, the belief that what you say, that you really have made us blameless and holy, that, that that's our calling in our lives and that you enable us to do that as we pursue you. Of course we fail, but that's what the cross is about, the forgiveness of sins that you have made us, adopted us into your family. We have fridge rights with you, that you have, you have showed us your plan, that you've redeemed us by your blood, that you're indwelling us by your spirit. And God, will we believe? Help us to believe that to be true. And I want to pray for anyone who has never put their faith in you, that they will admit their sin. Just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. That they'll believe that Jesus' death and resurrection pays for their sin. Jesus, I believe that, that you and your death pay for my sin. And that they would choose to surrender. God, my life is yours. I ask you for forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And now I I surrender to you. God, would you produce that fruit in our lives as we seek you? Amen.